Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, alongside none other than John Tesh. John, how you doing? Excited, excited. I want to. Uh, I, I, I've just started reading this book. I just uh, downloaded it on Amazon because I want to. I want to make sure I'm not dying. That's a great segue. <laughs> Our guests this week are Dr. Chris Kelly and Dr. Mark Eisenberg. They are authors of the new book, "Am I Dying: A Complete Guide to Your Symptoms and What to Do Next." So this book basically is, it's, they're, they're both very funny. I really enjoyed this interview. They're doctors, but they have a sense of humor, which is rare. And they wrote this book for people to help self-triage, to know whether they're supposed to go to the emergency room, urgent care, or if they can just handle it themselves, or make a doctor's appointment for the, in the next week. Like all of those options that we kind of panic about on a day-to-day basis when we go to, and why like every time you go to a website, one of those health websites, oh, you come man. back. And it's like, oh, you definitely have brain cancer. Like, I, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. that's they're they're yeah. trying to combat that. So this is a great, fun book to that you could read or also use for reference. And their interview, I really enjoyed it. I think that they're both very funny, very engaging guys, and uh, uh, and we had a good time talking about health. Well, and they're, these guys are are not easy to get. I mean, I uh, I've I've done my own little research here, and I'll reveal that in a moment. But. Uh, this is this is me. I've had a few things. Well, you're a hypochondriac. Uh, I don't know that I'm a... Well... You used to read your mom's nursing book... Oh, that's when true. ...when you were a kid, that's and true. you would end that's up... True. All of a sudden, you had that's lupus, true. and that's you didn't true. really have lupus. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I studied cancer so much that I actually got cancer the same year, almost to the month, that my dad got cancer and died. And so, uh, yeah, you can definitely... If you read enough bad stuff, you can find bad... It'll find you. Right. These uh, Reddit things and all mm-hmm, the rest of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is, I can't believe nobody's, I mean, maybe somebody's done this book, but, but listen, I, I, Publishers Weekly says about this book, a lively, reader friendly, and useful guide with clear instructions and reassuring, amicable tone. And then there's another uh, a review from a book list that says, Two Columbia University cardiologists double as medical experts and comedians. Are they that funny? They are very funny. Wow. And they are very easy to talk to. You know, normally I, I do interview a good number of doctors for this show. Sometimes I interview doctors that I don't end up putting them on the show because the, the, the interview is too dry. <laughs> this one, but this one was fun. Yeah. That's great. What a, what, a, what a great idea. I can't wait. Uh, can we uh, share a couple of quick pieces of intel before we get to that? I would hope that we would. Because That's our format. You and I uh, are big Game of Thrones fans, and you were, the one, that, you were the one that turned Huge. me on to reading the books. Yeah, and so I don't think you can really, folks. Like, I don't think you can consider yourself a <laughs> Game of Thrones uh, fan. That's least, right. You're gatekeeping. You, you got to get through one book, right? I mean, there's. I got through four, and I was just like, whoa. Uh, there were like six, right? Uh, I think there are five that he's written, and they're supposed to be six or seven, right? Because the last right. two seasons, right. I, I can't remember the last couple of seasons though. He's have been without books. Yeah, and I told I told Connie, my wife, I said, listen, I think we should uh, adopt a child, and she goes. Wow, we got kids, we got grandkids. Do, do you really want to do that? I said, yes. And she goes, oh, no. It's because you want to name the child Khaleesi, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the, the point I'm making is that the Social Security Administration uh, is telling us now that Game of Thrones names are more popular than ever before, and thousands of babies born last year were named after characters. So the top five most popular names are Lyanna at number five. Lyanna Stark. Yara, Lyanna Stark, right? Um Yara at number four, mm-hmm. and then Jamie from Jamie uh, Lannister, yep. or, um, and then Khaleesi, the mother of dragons, and then the top Game of Thrones name is Arya, uh, who is super cool, and ended super up, cool. and ended up. Uh, I don't, don't want to spoil anything for anybody because there are other people who check it, who are catching up, but she's cool. She's, Arya. She, uh, a, little, Ar- a little girl with power. Arya starts off as a little girl, as like a, the little tomboy that is, who always has to do the girl stuff, and ends up being one of the most elite assassins in the entire in the entire world. I'll leave it at that. 
she that that's how she that's that's her character arc and it's and it's it's a phenomenal one to watch in fact i watch that and i see my daughter my oldest daughter oh. in aria oh of time. course of course yeah. yeah and uh and of course she's got the she's got the tiniest sword called needle needle but she wields it she, yeah, yeah she yeah. wields it yeah. I, I get aria for sure i also i would just like to recommend i love naming kids after fiction if you're not going to use i like obviously my kids have family names but if you're not going to use family names i like uh, after fiction is a great is a great alternative uh, but make sure that the whole series of story is complete before you wow. name it after a character wow. again no spoilers but i'm sure there's some people who are regretting wow. naming their kids Khaleesi or Daenerys after things that have taken place this season yeah or Adolf or any of oh, but that, that, that story was already written <laughs> yeah it's true yeah you're right that's a that's a really good tip make yeah. sure yeah make sure the story's over cuz all of a sudden it turns out that like Snape wasn't so bad you right. know, and you, you could have named your kid Snape. Right, right. Or yeah. Severus. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, that's, a, that's such, I'm just thinking of all the mistakes I, I could have made. Oh, yeah. The wow. big twist. Don't, don't name your kid Kaiser Soze. <laughs> Look it up, folks. Uh, hey, one more uh, a, a quick tip before we get going here with the, with the interview. Uh, Am I Dying is the name of the book, of course. Uh, is uh, this, th- this thing we were talking about on the radio show, that it's, it's uh, a trend called Sober Curious. Yeah, uh, in which people make a conscious and mindful decision not to drink. So it's not about abstaining. Uh, it's not for people with alcoholism. The inventors say it's for people who don't like the effects of alcohol, whether it's mental or physical. Uh, and so it's you know how can sober curious people find fun? It doesn't involve drinking. Well, there's a there's an app that you obviously can get. there's an app for that. Yeah, but but it's basically so sober uh, curious is is basically just taking a minute and saying. Okay, why am I why am I reaching for right, a drink? Right. Uh, is this um, is this part of my uh, my vision or my goal for the next twenty four yeah, hours? Knowing right. that you're probably not going to sleep if you drink well, too late, that, that kind of thing. That's the that's the thing, right? Is it is it like you don't have to be an alcoholic to get benefits from not drinking, right? right you know, right? Uh, look, I have I, I have nothing, absolutely nothing against uh, legal moderate alcohol. I I have no problem with that. I I it, it's fine, but. You're gonna sleep better if you don't have that glass of wine right, after right, dinner. You're right. going to you're gonna sleep better if you don't have that scotch. It's gonna be easier to get up and go to the gym the next morning if you're not having scotch after dinner. All of that is all of that is just fact. And and maybe you want to feel what it feels like to not have that in your system for a little right, while. That's right, great. Right. It doesn't mean you have a problem. You don't have to have a problem for you to be able to enjoy that. It's sort of it's part of the intentional trend that you're always right, talking about, right? Right. It's being intentional about the things that you put in your body. So that can be. That can be with alcohol, that can be with food, that can be with the way that you exercise. We just, I think we go into default all the time, like, oh, I'm going to a social function, I'm going to have alcohol. Why? Why do you need alcohol to social function? I mean, I can think of a few reasons, but I'm just saying, make sure you ask yourself why, why you need it or why you want it. And, and so that you're making the choice on purpose, you're not having the right. choice made for right. you by exactly. cultural expectations, that's be, the key. Yeah. Just because the, the girls showed up and you have to have two glasses. Right, yeah, right, yeah. why? Okay, so before we get to this interview, men's health reads this. Uh, uh, I'm like all into the reviews now. Whether it's a mark on your skin or a weird feeling in your chest, one of the most common things people want to know about their health problem is, quote, am I dying? And now, now we're going right to the source. Here we go. Here we go with the authors of Am I Dying, Chris Kelly and Mark Eisenberg. So excited to be here with Christopher Kelly and Mark Eisenberg. Doctors, both of you. uh, and, And you've written this book, Am I Dying, which I feel like was written for the hypochondriac and everybody, but I feel like it was written specifically for me. This idea of like <laughs> of tr- self triage, and I feel, and I think self triage has gotten taken so far out of context that that I'm I I, I needed this book. 
I, I'm so glad. Are you a worrier naturally? I am. Well, I don't think of myself as that, but I've been told by other people that I, I feel like I have a healthy <laughs> amount of cynicism, but I've been told I have a little bit of a, of a, of a worry side. So, so I need this. And, uh, uh, and, and yes. Yeah, so, so first of all, thank you guys so much for writing this book. Thanks for having us on your show. You're welcome. Uh, so, so why, why, why write this? Why, why write a book about about how to self triage, how to how to how to understand your own symptoms? Yeah. So, with a humorous bent, of course. I mean, obviously, people have been experiencing uh, symptoms that aren't readily explained for as long as there have been people. Um, but what's new is the ability to go online and look up your symptoms and come crashing into some horrible explanation that convinces you that, right. you know, your cough of two days is probably lung cancer <laughs> or that, um, you've been feeling a little tired because you have diabetes or something like that. So, um, or African what we sleeping found, sickness. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what we found, you know, as doctors, we're, we're always glad that people are interested in their health and, and motivated to find answers. And certainly we don't blame anyone for going online. We, we understand the impulse. But what we found is that the information that's out there is just confusing, misleading, not always, in fact, frequently not written in the reader's best interest. Right. And so we wanted to make something that was very easy to read, very authoritative, very um, closely adherent to the truth. And so uh, that's why we made the book. We, we hope that it's practical. We hope that it helps people understand the likely cause of whatever symptom they're having and, and more importantly, helps them figure out if they need to do anything about it or not. Can yeah. they just ignore it or do they have to go see a doctor? One of my favorite signs I've seen in a doctor's office is uh, your 30-minute Google search does not is not greater than my medical degree. <laughs> yeah, we're, that's our big joke. Like, where did Dr. Google go to medical school? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that's like a slightly patronizing attitude by doctors and part of the reason people don't like doctors all the time. Mm. Uh, I mean, you, certainly you can't blame anyone for worrying about some new weird symptom and like trying to figure out what it is. What we're trying to do is uh, not discourage that. We're just trying to give a much better resource right. than what's out there. And, you know, we try to make it funny and easy to read so that it's enjoyable and not like, you know, going through the dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and then even before we had the Internet, I feel like people had the the family anecdote. Right. Yes. And I think Definitely. it was it was the same thing. It was, well, my cousin, uh, <laughs> my cousin had a cough. We thought it was allergies. He was dead three days later. So I came in for this. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the problem. Even when you Google your symptoms, you start to go down this rabbit hole. Right. Before you know it, you don't even know how you ended up somewhere. And, you you know, you started off with thinking about a, a pain in the toe. And before you know it, you have a clot in your leg. Right. Now you might Vein have a thrombosis. Exactly. And, and and no one wants to be like Uncle John, like you say, who died a day later right. you know, after his foot cramp. So that, that's what we try to do in the book. We try to help people triage what to do with their symptoms. Mm -hmm. You know, we in each chapter, there's 40 chapters and each chapter is a symptom. We we divide it into three parts when you could chill, when you should make a doctor's appointment and when you should go to the ER. So we try to help people come up with a plan, which is what the Internet doesn't really help us do. Yeah. I think that's I think that's fair. Also, the Internet is always especially the sites. I don't want to call out a single site, but there is there is the number one site that people use to search for their medical symptoms. And that site, uh, I feel like, is covering them their own selves by always giving you the possible worst case scenario. Like it could just be a hangnail or it could be some sort of <laughs> cellular division problem in your, you know, in your follicles. Yes. Yep. The, the first sign of a heart attack is a hangnail. <laughs> right. So, I, okay. So, so let's start. What is the number one symptom that we, 
that we shouldn't ignore. So, you know, I, I think I think a lot of people don't want to be the hypochondriac that shows up at the ER with the hangnail. But also, yeah. when when are we being the tough guy? And is that a mistake? Like when when do we have to go in? Yeah, I mean, so there's a couple symptoms that can be very serious things where time is of the essence and like every minute that you wait to get medical care, your likelihood of doing well goes down. Um, so a couple of those, uh, the first one is chest pain. So if you're having crushing chest pain um, that feels like pressure in your chest, uh, gets worse when you try to exert yourself, that's like pretty much a slam dunk for a heart attack. And the longer you wait to make it to the ER, the, the less likely you are to get out of there with your heart pumping normally. Um, another one is like new onset numbness, uh, or weakness in your, in an arm or a leg or slurred speech, uh, that lasts for more than like a minute or two. Um, you know, everyone like falls asleep on their hand and like wakes up and it's numb, but like you should be able to shake it off after a minute. If you can't shake it off, um, that's pretty good for a stroke. And that's another thing where, um, like every minute that you wait to seek medical care, you know, worsens your odds of coming out of there intact. Um, so those are like two really big ones. Other ones that I would, uh, have people caution for is like a really severe headache. Like that comes on fast suddenly is like worse than anything you've ever had. That's never a good sign and can be like a sign of bleeding in or around the brain. And I would say like, those are three symptoms that are, are things that can kill you. Um, and you really need to like get checked out quickly. I cannot be the only person that's listening to your words right now and is experiencing each and every one of those things as you talk about them. I hope, I hope you are. <laughs> like right now, you're saying like, oh my gosh, is this a, is this a headache? Is this it? And I also, <laughs> also, you talk about chest pain, and I feel like every time if I overexert myself in the gym and it turns into a pain in my chest, like if, you know, like yeah. let's say I'm doing, I'm, it's chest day and I'm, I'm, I'm doing push-ups or bench press, when my chest starts to hurt, even if I've just worked out, my my lizard brain goes, oh, this is it. This is me dying. How do I distinguish between just sort of that superficial, uh, I've injured something on my pectoral versus uh, that that sort of deep, I have, I'm having a heart yeah. attack, well, chest pain? Well, that's a great question. I think, you know, you're talking about muscular, you know, musculoskeletal chest pain. So right. clearly, if you take a deep breath and the pain gets more pronounced, like worse, or you touch the spot and it gets worse, I mean, it's it's basically a muscle. You know, so if you're moving that part of the arm or chest and it gets worse or you take a deep breath or you're touching it and it makes it worse or, you know, that's most likely the muscle or the nerve near the muscle. Mm. Yeah. You know, if you're having a heart attack, it it shouldn't be affected by the position of your body okay. um, or by breathing. Um, and, and, and the other the other alarming signs with chest pain or if the chest pain is associated, let's say you stop exercising and you're very short of breath or nauseous or you want to vomit mm-hmm. or feel dizzy, you know. Other signs with the chest pain are usually a good red flag that you need to get help. Mm. So if you stop and all of a sudden you're feeling nauseous, you want to vomit and you're short of breath or dizzy with the chest pain, that, that could be a sign of a heart attack or something very serious. Do you know the story, you guys know the, the movie Vice? About Dick Cheney? Yes. And you know yeah, of the, course. the director, uh, Adam McKay? Yes, I so, heard that. Okay, so Christian did, Bale was like, "Hey, yes, you should get that checked out." Right? Yes, no, it was it was so so. Christian Bale, who is obviously a super method actor, he did a lot of research because I think Dick Cheney's had five, six heart attacks before he got his new heart. Um, is it true? Is it true? Christian Bale actually got a heart transplant for the role. That's yeah, right. That's that's like, like, <laughs> I, I would, that would be a great story. But but so he does all this research on heart attacks, and he finds out that one of the sim what some of the symptoms are, and so they're getting ready to do one of the heart attack scenes, and Christian goes to Adam McKay and says, "Hey." I uh, I'm I'm 
should I do the nausea thing or the numbness or do you want to do the chest pain? And Adam McKay didn't know what he was talking about. And so Christian Bale was going through like, okay, so these are some of the alternative symptoms that will add a little bit of authenticity to the thing. And Adam's like, oh, you, you do your thing and I'll shoot it. So then like they're doing post-production and Adam McKay's at the gym and he starts getting nauseous and, and, uh, and a little bit of numbness, but no chest pain. But he knows from the conversation with Christian Bale that that could be a heart attack and that saved his heart. That's how he ended up getting to the hospital in time. That's great. Yeah. And especially if you're very sweaty, if you like are having a nausea, dizziness and sweatiness, that could be a very bad sign. Sounds like a lot of people's time on the treadmill, though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So for all those people out there who aren't friends with Christian Bale, um, our book is losers. probably an adequate substitute. <laughs> yeah, losers. And, and we don't know. Maybe Christian Bale was looking at our book. When right? <laughs> it's it's totally plausible. I mean, Christian Bale's a big, big reader of, of this kind of stuff, <laughs> uh, of nonfiction. Medical uh, reference. Yeah. Uh, he's got a he's got a, a Grey's Anatomy book in his in his home. The, um, the, the I have this. Sometimes I'll get a chest pain and then it just goes away. Obviously, if it yeah. just goes away, I'm OK. Right. But even if it's not muscular. Yeah. I mean, people will frequently get like a little spasm in the, in the muscles between their ribs. And when you Mm -hmm. take a deep breath, it can feel like somebody's like putting a knife into you. Um, that usually goes away after a few seconds and it's like no big deal. If you're having a heart attack, it's not going to go away after a few seconds or a few minutes. Yeah. I mean, it could just be gas. So gas can go away too. You know, it's like sort of, you know, a bubble and after a few seconds, it should be gone. Yeah. So any of the really serious stuff, like when your aorta, the main, you know, artery out of the heart dissects, like an aortic Mm -hmm. dissection or a heart attack, the pain isn't going to go away. Right. Unless you get treated or die. Right. I was kidding. I feel like the aortic dissection that you you're you've got like seconds, right? Uh, Usually have a little longer than that. A a lot of people with that don't make it to the hospital. But um, uh, if you can get treated, you know, in a timely manner, you have a reasonable shot of, of getting out of there. That sounds that sounds intense. Okay, so so we know that the we got. I just want to recap real fast. We got the the numbness that doesn't go away, the deep chest pain that is that doesn't go away, and the sudden onset, most intense headache with nothing, uh, with with no end in sight kind of feel. Uh, those are all all the get to the thing, get to the hospital immediately kind of kind of symptoms. Big, right? Am I, am I big red flags. Any, big red flags. Now, on the flip side of that, what is the thing where? You guys are getting people constantly coming in who uh, who you just have to keep saying, no, it is you just need to uh, you, you need more potassium in your diet. You need to stop coming in for this. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> most I mean, most of the symptoms that people come with, uh, they turn out to be completely fine. Uh, a couple of the common ones. Um, like sore throat is an extremely common one. Everyone is convinced that they have strep throat every time they have sore throat. Right. Everyone wants antibiotics. Most people do not have strep throat. So like if you have some throat pain, but you're also coughing and you have a fever and you have a runny nose, like it just seems like a cold. That's just a cold. You don't have strep throat. The strep right. throat is more like an isolated sore throat with nothing else wrong with you. Right. Um, and you have a fever, but you don't have a runny nose. You don't have a cough. Um, in, fact, and, in fact, having a runny nose uh, means you don't have strep throat. Yeah, basically. Interesting. Why is um, that? It's just because it, because the sore throat is explained one, by something it, else? Because, yeah, the strep doesn't actually cause the runny nose. Right. So if you have a runny nose with that, then it's obviously another it's a virus. It's a virus or another thing causing it. Mm. Um, another thing that and we as cardiologists get this all the time is uh, palpitations. So like extra heartbeats or your heart is skipping beats or beating harder than usual. So... You know, people come in because they feel these sensations in their chest. Um, You know, 
a lot of the time it's nothing to worry about. Like if you every now and then just feel an extra a beat or a skipped beat, it's like probably nothing. Um, and if it happens more often, like when you're exercising or you've had a big cup of coffee, still probably nothing. On the other hand, you know, if it's happening frequently, like multiple times per day, if it lasts for more than a second or two, um, if you have pain or lightheadedness um, when your heart is skipping or going fast, uh, that's a sign of like potentially a bigger problem. And that's like when we would actually check somebody out in more detail. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, speaking of skipping beats, like all of these heart rate monitors, these consumer-grade heart rate monitors that we wear on our wrist, the Fitbits, the Apple Watches, all of those, uh, that they give you good usable data, or do they do they create more I hypochondria? hate them. <laughs> really? <laughs> look, look, one thing is we're very happy when people partake in their medical care. I mean, that's why we wrote this book, so people could actually right. know their bodies. Right. But the problem is when it starts to, they fixate on things, and half the time the data it gives you is useless yeah i mean so like the heart rate monitors so um looking right now mark is not wearing one i have an apple watch i have never looked at the heart rate in my apple watch ever um why and because like the only times where we'd ever do that would be like if you're a ultra endurance athlete and you're like training to a heart rate mm -hmm. um which i am not um or like if if you're having palpitations um, it might be helpful to like just look at your heart rate during that episode and see how high it gets but otherwise like for everyone else out there um, monitoring your heart rate really does not accomplish anything um, you know sometimes it's going to be high sometimes it's going to be low as long as you're not having symptoms other than like feeling it every now and then in your chest it's it's almost certainly not something medical what if you're a like a a, a data hound like i am like i just like to know I just like to have the data and be able to look like, oh, I slept better that day. Oh, for some reason, I, I just want to, I, I like to know that kind of stuff. Is it is it detrimental that way? Or yeah, but like this is the problem with um, where medicine is going. Like we have so much data and mm. we just don't even know what to do with it. Like oh. you, you want to know, but unless there's like actionable intelligence that you can get from the information, it's like, you know, why bother? Yeah, I mean, more interesting, you know, vital signs are your heart rate, your blood pressure, your temperature. Mm -hmm. Probably the most useful out of them, if you're feeling fine, is your blood pressure. We don't have anything like on a phone or something that can tell you an accurate blood pressure. Yeah, like actually screen people for high blood pressure, yeah, which exactly. is a much bigger problem. That's that's the bigger problem, the blood pressure. Nothing tells us about our blood pressure. Mm. And I think I think a big reason for that is it's such so hard to say sphygmomanometer so nobody, it's hard to market the home version of that. You can't Google it. You can't spell it. It's even worse to spelling it. Yeah. yeah. So, but do those home, sorry, do those home sphygmomanometers no, no, no. work? Oh, they're, they're, I mean, they're, yeah, they're great. There's particularly some that are much better than others. But what I'm trying to say is if we had something that was easily and non-burdensomely taking your right. blood pressure, that would right. be great. If you could just put it on your finger and know an accurate blood pressure, that weirdly enough would be much more useful than your heart rate. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So, so. So don't ignore it. Don't you don't have to ignore it. If you're an endurance athlete, go ahead and use it. But don't use it. It's not a uh, it doesn't really help you with triage these these wearable devices. I mean, it's not something that like an average person without symptoms related to their heart needs to ever think mm -hmm. about. And are they accurate enough? Like or do you need the the uh, transcardial thing? I mean, like. For most people, they're accurate enough because it's a meaningless number anyway. So, <laughs> You're so cares? cynical about it. <laughs> um, but whether it's like truly accurate, I, I believe there was um, a video where somebody like put on like five different 
um, like a Fitbit, an Apple Watch, mm-hmm. like all these different things, and then ran around a track, and they were all showing different numbers at the end. Yeah, but it's re- really what it's about is relative data. Like you want to you want to beat yourself, you want to beat what you did yesterday, right? So that it, yeah. it, I guess they're helpful in that regard. But like if you're trying to push yourself with exercise, you don't need to know the number of your heart rate to know that you're pushing yourself or not. Well, right. And, and Most people. the other thing is when someone's really well conditioned, you know, when you're in good shape, your heart rate doesn't go up that fast. Right. Uh, right. During exercise, so it's actually the data is the opposite. If you're if you're going to stop because your heart rate zooms up, then that just means you actually need to keep working out so your heart rate right. doesn't get to the point of right. zooming up. Well, I so I used to run. I used to run endurance, and I I, I used to run um, with a trans uh, the the transcardio the the one that you wear around yeah. your chest. And um, what I found it really useful was keeping my heart rate in the. Uh, I, mean, I still run marathons and stuff, but I, I used to run much more aggressively. It, 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 keeping my yeah. heart rate in that key zone so that I didn't overexert while also pushing myself to the sort of that optimal range. And I found it very useful and I, my times improved significantly from it, but I, I, I hear what you're saying for, yeah, for the lay but person. I mean, you're like clearly an edge case, um, running marathons frequently and, and training for that. And, and if somebody's doing that, then it, it could be helpful. But yeah. for the 99.999% of us uh, who don't, it's, it's really not worth the money. I don't think <laughs> just to, just to get your, uh, just to get your number of steps it takes you to get to Starbucks and back. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking more like McDonald's. <laughs> well, yeah, that's probably that's probably the worst use case scenario. Look, I got my ten thousand <laughs> steps walking to McDonald's. Nothing you know, I actually McDonald's. I saw something really funny online the other day. Um, certain healthcare companies are giving people discounts. Like, if you have health insurance, they'll give you a discount on your premium if you prove that you walk a certain number of steps each day. Mm. So, some smart person has created an iPhone stand that just rocks it back and I've forth. Seen that. All day I've long. seen that. I've seen that. It was on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, you can just be watching Game of Thrones all day and all night eating pizza, and it says that you've done 20,000 steps. To, to be <laughs> fair, that does make your heart rate go up. <laughs> in all the wrong ways yeah uh let's go over a couple more specific cases where where help us triage so so how bad how do you know if a cut is okay with a little bit of bactine and a band-aid and how do you know if you need to go to get stitches yeah um well if, if it's if you know blood is gushing out and hitting the well wall, the, yeah are... obviously <laughs> yeah and we have seen that um yeah so um the, the key thing is like when you cut yourself and, and we all do accidentally now and then um, try to run it under like warm water. Don't put soap or anything ridiculous in it. Just warm water to like clean it out and then put a clean cloth on it and just hold pressure for like 10 minutes and just start with that. Not um, alcohol? No. No. Oh, God, no. Um, really? I, I, I do that. Unless you're into pain. I mean, it stings like a mother, but I figured it would it would be it would do a good job of, of uh, sanitizing it. No, I mean, like, listen, like if you fell down a ravine and like your wound is packed with mud, then, you know, maybe you need to take more measures. But if you just like cut yourself while cooking or something else, then you can rinse it out. If you put alcohol or other stuff in it, that can actually interfere with clot formation and make it bleed longer. Um, Yeah, the goal goal is just to stop the bleeding, because if you can't stop the bleeding, that's when you would actually need to go get a stitch. Mm. Yeah. So you don't want to do anything that's going to keep the bleeding going. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so you want to like just rinse it out, hold pressure for a solid 10 minutes without looking and then, um, take the towel off. And, you know, if you're bleeding through the towel or if, uh, after like 10 minutes of firm pressure, it's still bleeding, then you should probably get checked out if the bleeding is stopped, but the edges of the cut are like gaping apart. 
um, that's something that needs stitches just so it'll heal faster and look better um, mm. and not have a big scar. If the bleeding stops and you look at it and it's like not, the edges aren't gaping apart and it's not that bad, then at that point you can probably just put some bacitrace in on it and, and cover it with the bandage. Uh, how, how do you know, how do you, how do you know when to go to the ER versus, uh, versus like um, urgent care for something like that? Something like that can almost always be dealt with at an urgent care. I mean, if, if you're like bleeding profusely, um, like you really like made a, a large wound, then you should go to the ER because you might need a blood transfusion. But if it's just like wound care and urgent care is the perfect place to go. Yeah. And also you should be up to date with your tetanus shots. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't I, I don't think I am. I don't think I do that enough. <laughs> I mean, you're we saying that now, we can come over now and give you one. That would be great. Can I get it when I, when I get my flu shot? Um, <laughs> yeah, every 10 years. And if you cut yourself badly, they'll probably just give you a tennis shot on the spot. If yeah. you don't know for certain that you got one recently. That makes sense. So, so this this brings up a, a different question that that uh, I, I'm, I am kind of curious about. How do you how should people determine whether whether they need the the doctor's appointment where it can wait several days but most importantly, the urgent care versus ER thing. Like, what what are the sort of things that would elevate? Obviously, urgent care is I need to see a doctor relatively soon, within mm -hmm. like in, within you know, like imminently. But why yeah, I mean, why would I go well, to I mean, the ER on top of that? Well, I mean, clearly, if you have something like the worst headache of your life, or the chest pain, or the slurred speech, like we were talking about, the best thing to do is call nine one one or go to an emergency room. If you have something like you know that you need a same day a quick appointment, you know, like something like burning on urination, where you can't wait more than a day for that, or like you know nausea and some vomiting, or bad diarrhea, yeah. or a bad cough, a bad cough, but you can't get your regular doctor's appointment, then you should go to an urgent care center. What what, yeah, what are I mean, the things that elevate to emergency room then? I, it it can be hard for like um, a non medical person to know, but basically, the ER is where you want to go for something that can escalate quickly, mm -hmm. right? Like an urgent care is like more than adequate for treating wounds or for like minor infections and stuff like that. That like you don't want to wait a week to see your doctor, but you don't think it's going to kill you today, right? Whereas like something that is freaking you out and has the potential to turn into like a life-threatening problem you want to go straight to the ER for. So, yeah. you like, know. Like if you have abdominal pain with nausea and some vomiting and, you know, the pain goes right from the, you know, belly button all the way to the bottom right, that could be appendicitis, you know, you'd be wasting your time going to an urgent care center. You should go straight to the emergency room for something like that. Yeah. How is how are we as lay people supposed to triage ourselves to that for that distinction? Because our insurance companies kind of insist that we do a good job triaging that. Because the you know, ER is so much this, more expensive than 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 the urgent care. I hear there's this great new book out right now that uh, <laughs> hey! called, called "Am I Dying?" Hey, am I dying? That's a yeah. Link to that in the show notes, by the way, folks. If you want to be able to buy talk, it, we do talk about urgent. Like we we point people towards more of an urgent care type setting versus an ER setting in the book. Right. I mean, put it this way: if you're like in excruciating agony that like you can't turn to a book. Um, to look up your symptoms, you should probably go to the ER. Right, but if you can um, turn to a book, but you if, should... if you feel like you've got a little bit of time and maybe it's not such a big deal, like enough to look it up in a book, that's probably a sign you can go to an urgent care. Yeah, yeah right. and, I mean, in plenty of urgent cares, uh, centers will triage you, and if they think you need to go to the ER, they'll get an ambulance for you. Right. So at least you know you're you'll be in good hands. Right. I mean, the, the worry of obviously is that we're talking about these things that that if I think if it's if minutes matter. Then you feel like you're wasting your time going to the urgent care, but at the same time, you don't want to you don't want to go to the full ER 
when you don't need to because obviously that's that's 10 times as expensive yeah so it's it's a tough thing now that is why you had to write the book which makes a lot of sense <laughs> exactly um you've mentioned infection a couple of times we talked a little about wound care but um i i i i feel like there's a lot of people who uh, particularly in more affluent areas who insist on uh on antibiotics when they are um when they're sick anything and, yeah yeah it's like oh i you know my, my throat hurts i want to get an antibiotic um and 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 I you know I remember from high school biology and college biology like why that's a bad idea. But help educate our listeners as to why getting an antibiotic is not necessarily the best thing that you need to do uh, for ninety percent of the stuff that's bothering you. Because if you take an antibiotic, and you know antibiotics are there for treating bacterial infections. Mm-hmm. You know most infections are either viral or bacterial. If you take an antibiotic, what you're actually doing is two things. One, you could be developing a resistant strain. That's the big issue. If you actually, if everyone starts to take a Z-Pack, then all of a sudden, you know, these new infections are actually going to be resistant to the Z-Pack. And then little mm-hmm. kids and old people, when they do get the infection, will not be able to be treated and die from them. Right. You know, the other thing is we have bacteria in our body, in our gut, in our colon that protects us, you know, that it actually helps us. And when you take an antibiotic, you also not only kill the bad bacteria, but you also kill the good bacteria. Right. You know, so, you know, you don't really want to take antibiotics unless you really need it because it could actually then cause some more harm. Right. And and again, and it's not going to do anything beneficial at all if it's a viral infection. Correct. Um, Usually, you know, it's just the time that passes. Um, you know, the three days that you're on the antibiotics, it's not the antibiotics, it's the three days right. that made the viral infection get <laughs> right, better. Right. Um, and, and wiping out all the bacteria in your gut is not a small thing. You know, it can cause diarrhea for people. Mm-hmm. Um, some, some people think that like the increase in obesity in our country is in part related to antibiotic overuse and a change in the bacteria in everyone's gut. Interesting. Um, so there's like, there's real issues and, um, you know, p- people shouldn't just fixate on antibiotics um, because that worked last time. You know, you should have a doctor that you trust who can like actually do tests if necessary and, and see if this is something that will actually help you or not. Plus, plus there's a whole set of antibiotics, the fluoroquinolones like uh, Levaquin or Cipro, and they've been associated with rupt- uh, rupture of tendons. So wow. there's plenty of people that actually go on these medications for a urinary tract infection or a, a bronchitis, and they actually end up rupturing a tendon and even need surgery. So, you know, just taking one or two days of an antibiotic, there could be really serious uh, mm-hmm. consequences. And especially for someone like you who likes to exercise, like you said, I mean, you could actually be out, you know, not exercise for six months because of a silly antibiotic mm. that, you didn't need, that you didn't need in the first place. This is, yeah, it's crazy. This is sort of outside your purview, but but... You you're talking about how the uh, antibiotics increase your uh, maybe linked to obesity. Do you think antibiotics in our food supply are also a part of that? Like the, you know when when cows are given antibiotics, does that do you think that could be contributing to obesity as well? Um, I I think it's a complicated issue and it is a <laughs> bit outside of our purview. Yeah. What I will say is, you know, when when you are eating a steak, um, you know, you're not eating. Um, the antibiotics in their raw form. Mm. Um, I think like the the more important issue is, you know, hormone loaded animals where you actually can get some of the hormones um, can be more problematic. Oh. And I know that's why they've sort of tried to shift away in like poultry in particular from from hormones and, and antibiotics. But um, I don't think we understand so well exactly the effect of that. I mean, we can surmise that it's probably not good, but it's not well known. <laughs> right. 
Right. I mean, that's where, and again, a lot of people think that's where we get, get MRSA and, and all of those other, other issues from. Like, well, like certainly the antibiotics in the cows and other animals creates resistant strains in them, which can then pass on to us. Right, right. Not, not necessarily by eating them, but just they now exist in the world and they eventually find their way to humans. How, I'm going to pivot here now to fevers. How, how high a fever, because as, as a parent, my kids get fevers all the time. How high a fever before before I decide that this is something that needs to be seen, particularly in kids where they're more susceptible to it, but also in myself? Yeah, I mean, the thing about fevers is that, one, um, the problem that they signal, right? So, like, you rarely do you have just a fever. It's like you have a fever along with other symptoms, and you're trying to figure out what your disease process is and whether it needs to be checked out. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's the temperature itself of the fever, which can cause harm if high enough. Um, so, you know, kids get fevers all the time. Um, even some adults uh, get fevers all the time. And I think it's all just context. Like if you have a fever and you also have cold symptoms, um, that's like probably not something you need to worry about. If you have like, you know, a little diarrhea and fever for a day or so, it's probably not a big deal. Or like ear pain or sinus pain and a fever mm-hmm. for a day or two. Um, fever that lasts longer than a day or two, um, or fever that's occurring by itself, um, or occurring with fatigue, but no other focal symptoms, Mm. um, is a little more concerning, you know, high fevers with like neck stiffness and neck pain is a more serious infection that could be meningitis, um, and, and so on. And then like with respect to temperature and like the, the cutoff where you need to seek attention, Again, it, it's sort of more about the symptoms that are associated with the fever than the t- actual temperature itself. But if somebody has a fever of more than 103, 104, that's like getting high enough where the temperature itself can start to cause damage. Um, and you should get medical attention to, to bring it down. Do you get urgent care attention or do you get ER attention? No, you should go to the ER um, because... Uh, First of all, things that cause fevers that high, usually there's an underlying disease process that's pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, in order to cool you down, in addition to Tylenol, they may have to actually like put ice packs and other things around you. Um, and that requires a level of monitoring that an urgent care can't really do. And the other thing you have to worry about with a very high fever is something called sepsis. I'm sure you've heard that term yes. on your show. That's so, you know... Um, Basically, the problem with sepsis is you drop your blood pressure to a very unsafe level. So if this fever is going to be a warning of an infection that might actually become septic in the near future, you do not want to be in an urgent care center where they can't resuscitate your blood pressure. So that's part of the reason why with a high fever, you also want to go to an emergency room because... Mm. You know, if you have a urine infection with a high fever, it could spread to your blood and then they need to give you IV antibiotics and IV oh fluids yeah. and other stuff that might actually support your blood pressure. Whereas in an urgent care center, they're, they're not going to be able to take care of you as well. Yeah. Again, you know, you guys are talking like this and then all of a sudden I'm thinking like, I just need to go to the doctor right now. I just, <laughs> it really gets in my or, head. Or just, or just call 911. <laughs> yeah. I just We are here for fear. Yeah. Uh, what is, I've I've kept you guys for a while, so I I, want to start wrapping this up, but what is, what is one thing you wish your patients knew before they came to see you? Like the the number one thing you wish patients walked in the door knowing? Um, I don't, I mean, I, I hope that when patients see their doctors, they realize that, uh, for the most part, our agenda is just their best interest. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when, 
when we get into it about antibiotics or about um, certain treatments, you know, we're <laughs> most doctors, I think, are really doing their best for people, even if it doesn't always seem like it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just trying to give the solution that they think will work best, even if it's not the solution that the patient came in expecting to get right. um, or wants. But in terms of what people should know, and you should, you know, maybe write it down because when you, you know, when you go to a doctor's office, you might be nervous. It's very important that people know what medications they're taking and what mm. doses. I mean, it's easy for someone that's young where they might just take one medication, but, you know, we all have parents or relatives that are much older and they're on right. like seven or eight medications. Right. And there's nothing harder than when someone comes to your office and they don't know what medications are on or what doses. Or right. what allerg or what allergies to medications they have. Yeah, I, yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine that it can like, be problematic. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, our, our patients are pretty good. But um, yeah, know your own medical history. Like it's it's really hard to be an effective doctor if you don't know the person's meds, med history, and so forth. So even if you have to write it all down, bring it with you. It'll make mm -hmm. your visit much more successful and productive. Yeah, and put it in a little... They, most phones have an app for that now. You can just you can keep all of yeah. your information up to date. Or, or, or just write it under the notes in the, in the phone. Yeah, there you go. The book, Am I Dying? The Doctors, Christopher Kelly and Mark Eisenberg. Thank you guys so much for your time. Um, if people want to follow up with you, obviously link to the book in the show notes. How can they, how can they learn more about you guys? For sure. We're on the web at amidying.com, uh, and we're also on Twitter um, at amidyingdocs, where people send us random questions, which we love to answer. And uh, we're also on facebook.com slash amidying. Links to the website, the social media accounts, Twitter and Facebook, in the show notes. And finally, for both of you, one thing that I ask everybody that's on the show, what is one thing that we can start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? <laughs> oh, where to even begin? Um, I, <laughs> That's I your mean, job to figure that out. I would say, you know, for for most people, um, yeah, enjoy your good health while you have it. Um, most people take it for granted. Most people um, do not appreciate the health condition that they had until they no longer have it. Mm. So be active, do stuff. Don't worry about every little ache and pain that happens and, and just enjoy uh, youth and enjoy health because um, mm. you won't have them forever. You know, and another thing I think is very good is we could all take an adult time out. Just give yourself 20 minutes if you have to a day to like just, you know, take a deep breath, sit by yourself in a room and just think of, you know, things you want to do and take care of yourself, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, you guys essentially what you guys just said is is great gratefulness and mindfulness. And yeah, I, I cannot tell you how, how many guests I've had on this show uh, from a variety of backgrounds, from from self help to to doctors like yourselves, to just researchers who who echo that idea of gratefulness and mindfulness, and uh, so it's. I mean, obviously, that's your take on it, but it, but ultimately, that's what it is, and it, that's that's crazy. That's I think I find that interesting. That, that those are themes that I've really gleaned over the years. Good. Well, we hope people take heed. Yeah, it's, it's like that old adage: if you have uh, if you have your health, you got a million problems. If you don't have your health, you got one problem. Yeah, that <laughs> that's is true. true. Thank you guys so much for your time. I'm going to let you go. Thank you guys. Appreciate you. Thank you again. Take care. You know, when uh, when Lin-Manuel came up with uh, Hamilton, yeah. <clears throat> I thought, gosh, I wish I had come up with that that idea. Uh -huh. uh, and then then I realized, even if I did come up with that idea, I couldn't Could have done that. Right, exactly. I feel the same way about this book. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. this, what, this, what a tremendous book this is. But I'm not a doctor, it so helps. I think I think I'm just going to enjoy reading. It, it. helps yeah. to be major cardiologist. The hard part is becoming <laughs> a major credentialed cardiologist and maintaining your sense of humor, which is what they've been able to accomplish. And obviously, the book is great. 
Uh, that's it for our show today, guys. I really hope you enjoyed the interview. If you liked it, please tell a friend about it. Share this episode. Maybe they need to know if they're dying. Uh, links to, again, everything in the show notes to book where to buy their book and follow up with them. If you like our show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get our show. It makes a huge, huge difference. Subscribing is the number one thing you can do. Uh, if you want to follow up with us, John is on Facebook, facebook.com slash John Tesh. That's where we spend most of our time. We post videos all the time. We go live. We try to respond to every comment or request on there. Also, John is on Twitter at John Tesh, on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard, facebook.com slash Gib Gerard. You can find me at Gib Gerard on Twitter and on Instagram. I try to respond to every request and comment and DM uh, with questions about the show, how we do it, and also with uh, potential guests that you guys might have. We try to get them on or try to at least try to book them. So again, follow up with all of us there. But most of all, thank you guys so much for listening because we literally cannot do this without you. We really we really need you guys to be listening. Otherwise, we sound like crazy people talking into a box. You know what I'm saying? I do. <laughs> anyway, that's it for our show today, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs>